Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Hello, everyone. Today we have episode 53 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts, and this is our final episode on the prophets, episode six in a six-part series, and today we get to look at the prophet Jeremiah, one of my favorite prophets. And so to talk about Jeremiah, let's start with a look into Jesus's day, where many of the Pharisees that Jesus critiqued told people that being rich and comfortable meant that you were at the very center of God's will, that God would reward the faithful with money and a comfortable, painless existence. Now, of course, these same Pharisees taught that the opposite was true, that pain and poverty were signs that you were not at the center of God's will. Um, And to be very clear, I'm painting with really broad brushstrokes here. This is not true for every Pharisee in Jesus's day. But painting with pretty broad brushstrokes, the message was simple. If your life is hard, God is not with you. Pain and persecution often mean the absence of God. Now, sadly, this way of thinking has not gone extinct. And I'm also sad to say this way of thinking is not even an endangered species. Has anyone ever heard the term prosperity preacher? A prosperity preacher has a very simple message. The greater your faith, the more money you'll give to them, of course. And the more money you give, the more money God is going to give back to you. It's like a heavenly Ponzi scheme, To quote one prosperity preacher, God knows where the money is, and he knows how to get you that money. Modern-day Pharisees may have a different name, prosperity preachers, but their message has not changed. If your life is hard, or if you don't have money, or if you feel overwhelmed, then God is not with you. Pain and persecution often mean the absence of God. That is the message. Now, I want to offer a little career advice in case any of you listening are thinking about becoming a prosperity preacher. Whatever you do, if you want to become a prosperity preacher, please, please, please do not preach on the book of Jeremiah. And, you know, try not to open the Bible either. I'm just saying it'd be career suicide. You're not going to find any support in the book of Jeremiah to suggest that obedience to God will lead to a safe, painless life. Or that when you follow God's will, that things will typically even go your way. In fact, the book of Jeremiah often suggests the opposite. Because Jeremiah was chosen for a really hard assignment. The year was 620 BC. Historically speaking, Assyria has already destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And now the southern kingdom is on the verge of being destroyed by the Babylonians. The people had broken the covenant, and Jeremiah's job was to call the people of Israel to repent so that the consequences of their disobedience might be averted. You have two choices, repent or be conquered. That's the word that God gives Jeremiah to preach, repent or be conquered. Now, 
I'm sure you may know this, but there's not really a formal discernment process to become a prophet. Jeremiah did not make an appointment with the bishop or meet with the commission on ministry or even go to seminary. In fact, Jeremiah did not go to college. In fact, Jeremiah, if living today in America, would have been a freshman in high school when God called him to be a prophet, and this is what God tells him. And I'm now going to quote the book of Jeremiah. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Therefore, gird up your loins, stand up, and tell them everything that I command you. Do not break down before them, or I'll break you before them. And I, for my part, have made you today a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Here ends the reading. So for last week's podcast, you may remember we talked about being chosen, and I gave us four C's to guide our discussion. Those were context, confrontation, conversion, and call. Well, this week, to talk about Jeremiah and what it means to be chosen for difficult kingdom of God work, or just for difficulty in life, I want to give us three F's, fervor, frustration, and fortitude fervor, frustration, and fortitude. Let's start with fervor. Fervor is defined as a feeling of great warmth and intensity. Think about being infatuated with another person. There can be a million reasons why you should not date him or her, but the fervor is so strong, you're feeling so intense that you cannot see the difficulty that lies in your future. God tells Jeremiah that he's being sent to speak against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, and the people of the land. That's a difficult job, but (laughs) Jeremiah is excited. He begins his ministry with passion and with intensity. To borrow a phrase from Rick Warren, Jeremiah is living a purpose-driven life. And if you read the first few chapters of the book of Jeremiah, you really get the sense that this young man is pumped up. After all, God chose him before he was born. God has promised never to forsake him. We can almost imagine Jeremiah saying to himself, I'm going to speak the words of God to anyone God tells me to. I don't care how powerful they are. I don't care how unpopular I become. I don't care what it costs me. I imagine that most of us have had some sort of Jeremiah moment, a moment of life-changing regeneration. Spiritual writers often call this the first fervor. The first fervor is a time in our life when we are infatuated with God. For a lot of us, it happened at summer camp. We felt God's warmth and love, and we made a vow, a vow that said, God, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead. I don't care what it costs me. Maybe it happened at church. Maybe it happened in a quiet moment of personal prayer. 
Maybe it happened when we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Maybe it happened when a friend shared his faith with us. You know, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I still remember the day that I fell in love with God. I'm not lying about this. It was September 10th, 1998. I read this book called The Journey, and for reasons unbeknownst to me, my life was forever changed after reading this book. Now, I honestly believe that this fervor, this infatuation, is a wonderful thing. It's so special. It's where the vast majority of romantic relationships begin, and it's typically speaking where our relationship with God begins. Now, there are no doubt exceptions to this rule, and so if you don't look back on your life and remember the time that you were all infatuated with God, you're not abnormal. That's perfectly okay. But for the most part, fervor or infatuation is typically speaking where most relationships begin. And fervor is good. Infatuation is good. But there's only one problem. Fervor dies. Man cannot live by zeal alone. Feelings of great warmth and intensity are not enough to sustain mature relationships. And this includes our relationship with God. Eventually, we experience the second F, frustration. Jeremiah is sent to kings, to princes, to priests, and to the people, and God tells him to speak words of judgment. Sadly, God does not give Jeremiah the assignment of a podcast called Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. And so try and imagine being sent by God shortly after your eighth grade graduation to speak words of judgment against the president, both the federal and the state government, your priests, your bishops, <laughs> your parents, your parents' friends, and anyone else you can think of. Your job is to pronounce judgment. You know, picture yourself marching up the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, being handed a microphone and having the attention of every major news network in America and then speaking these words as the cameras are all on you. Listen up, America. Thus saith the Lord. Stop charging interest on loans, even if that means losing your 401k. Start giving your janitors the same privileges you give your CEOs. Throw away your passports, for the nations belong to the Lord, and you have no rights to put up walls. If you do these things, you will live. But woe unto you if you don't do them, for the Canadians will invade our land. Do you think the people would listen? What do you think they'd say? I'll tell you what they'd say. They'd say, keep your mouth shut, kid. You have no idea how the real world works. And that's basically what the people told Jeremiah. There was a lot of laughing and mocking and jeering and ignoring um, people did not take him seriously, and people did not respond well to his warnings. Like any prophet, Jeremiah wants his people to feel what God feels, but his words fall on deaf ears and on hard hearts. Now, this is very frustrating, both for God and for Jeremiah. And so, after a couple of years of failed sermons— God and Jeremiah decide to up the ante a bit. And so let me read you something from Jeremiah chapter 19, and this time I'll read from The Message, which is Eugene Peterson's transliteration of the Bible. God said to me, Go buy a clay pot 
then get a few leaders from the people and a few of the leading priests and preach there what I tell you. Say, listen to God's word, you kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. I'm about to bring doom crashing down on this place. Say all this and then smash the pot in front of the men who have come with you. Then say, this is what God says. I'll smash this people and this city like a man who smashes a clay pot into so many pieces it can never be put back together again. Here ends the reading. Okay, so fast forward. You're not in the eighth grade anymore. You're now an adult member of St. Michael's, and you've come to see that the ways of your rector are corrupt. You set up a meeting with the bishop. I'm there. The bishop is there. You're there. But instead of bringing some talking points, you bring a glass, and when the bishop tries to shake your hand and ask how he can help you, you do the following. You hold up the glass, and you pronounce, Thus saith the Lord. Remove John Newton from his post as rector, or the Canadians will trample the land. And while you're at it, Bishop, you need to repent of your own sins too, or else this will happen. And then you smash the glass on the ground in dramatic fashion. So, if that were to happen, if you were to undertake that act, Do you think that the bishop and the people at this church would be grateful for you? No, they would not. But that is exactly what Jeremiah did. And do you know how his priest responded? He had Jeremiah beaten and put in stocks right outside the temple. And so as a side note, that is the Bible's way of saying, be careful with messing with your priest. That's just a joke. But here's my point. For Jeremiah... The glamorous veneer of his prophetic ministry is now gone. The veneer of a nice life as a prophet is gone. Jeremiah's infatuation with God is gone. His fervor is gone. And in its place, after years of failed prophetic ministry, is a big fat dose of frustration. You see, not in a million years did Jeremiah ever think his life would end up this way. After all, God had promised him, I will protect you. I will rescue you. I will never abandon you. But here's Jeremiah in the stocks, and he feels abandoned. And so can you imagine the frustration? One day, God's telling him, I love you, Jeremiah. I've chosen you, Jeremiah. I'm with you, Jeremiah. But the next day, he's in the stocks with wounds bleeding, body aching, and people taunting. I would say that like Jeremiah, at some point, we all have to come to terms with frustration about how life turns out at times. You know, for some of us, our commitment to Jesus will only bring a few days of pain, sorrow, and rejection. But for others, rejection and sorrow will be par for the course for much of our life. You know, but either way, I honestly believe that the frustration we experience can sometimes be a testament to God's grace. In fact, frustration is inevitable if we want to be a mature disciple of Jesus. And so, for example, the Apostle Paul had a friend by the name of Timothy, and old Timothy was also a preacher. Like Jeremiah, Timothy started out strong, but his infatuation turned to frustration. And more specifically, Timothy was frustrated because his people weren't responding And I imagine that Timothy thought that his ministry was a failure. 
Well, Paul knew this about Timothy, and so he wrote Timothy a letter, and in that letter, Paul said the following, and this comes from 2 Timothy 3.12. He said, Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, I know you're frustrated, Timothy, but here's what I'd like to say to you about that. Congratulations, because if you're frustrated, there's a pretty good chance that you might be on the right track. Frustration is just a part of mature discipleship at times. And so knowing that to be true, we can move on to our third F, and that's fortitude. Now, we don't really hear much about fortitude anymore in the modern world, which I think is a shame because it's one of the four cardinal virtues. Fortitude, by definition, is what enables us to act rightly and to persevere in the face of frustration. Fortitude is about not quitting. It's about hanging in there. You know, I know this sounds weird, but sometimes God calls us just to hang in there. It's the best we can do to be people who stay the course and just hang in there. And so after spending that first night in the stocks, Jeremiah's life actually gets harder, believe it or not. You know, a few things happen. First, he gets thrown into a dungeon and later on into a pit where he's left for dead. He receives beating after beating for speaking God's word to the people, but that's not the worst part. The worst part is that this goes on for 40 years, 40 years, and the people never repent. The Babylonians invade, and the Israelites lose their freedom. Well, I want you to imagine this from Jeremiah's perspective. Jeremiah has spent the last 40 years of his life trying to avert this very thing. He was sent to preach repentance, and the people never did it. And because they did not listen to Jeremiah, Jerusalem fell to her enemies. Can you imagine what Jeremiah must have thought? For the last 40 years, I was humiliated. I was beaten, intimidated, disrespected. I spent half my life in a dungeon. What was the point? They never listened. All of my preaching, all of my praying, was it all for nothing? I think we also can get discouraged when we try and do something for God and it doesn't, quote, work. We too can feel as if our devotion and our faithfulness have yielded nothing Think about praying and pleading for an alcoholic that never changes, or a friend who, after years of continual prayer, still has contempt for your faith. After a while, we start asking ourselves, what's the point? No one listens. Is it all for nothing? Well, fortitude is that virtue that gives us the courage to say no. The praying and the pleading is meaningful because God told me to do it. I might not know what the point is or what fruit this will bear, but God does, and I trust God. He formed me in the womb, he called me, and I trust him. Fortitude is about hanging in there. You see, Jeremiah learned something important throughout his life, which is God does not measure success the same way that you and I measure success. And it matters very little to God whether or not we are successful. What matters to God is whether we're faithful. 
Jeremiah learned that God's ways are not our ways. And so there will be times in our life when we pray for things and work for things that we know are pleasing to God, but they just don't happen. And when seen through a worldly lens, we will fail. It happened to Jeremiah. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to us. We all end up on the cross eventually one way or another. But fortunately, thank God that the Lord does not view our life through a worldly lens, but through a heavenly one. And so the question is not whether or not we'll get frustrated. The question is whether or not we will exercise fortitude. The question is whether or not we'll find the courage to just hang in there. Because believe it or not, sometimes hanging in there is all God asks from us. You know, my favorite verse in the whole Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. Well, I guess I was wrong. Jeremiah was a prosperity preacher after all. But what that tells me is that maybe, just maybe, we need to rethink prosperity. When our life is the hardest, maybe that means God is the closest he has ever been. Maybe pain and persecution mean the presence of God in our life. Jeremiah's life was messy, and Jeremiah did not die knowing how valuable his ministry and life would be for the world. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We too may die not knowing the impact of our life on this world. But never forget that God does. God is the one who formed us in the womb. God is the one who has promised never to leave us. God is the one worth trusting with all of our heart. And so, hang in there.